0: You know, uh, I hope it's okay that before we get into the Word, uh, just take a few minutes just to make some remarks of a more personal nature. Um, first of all, I do want to uh, extend my deepest condolences to the Perry family. Um, we didn't know Bob and Donna very well. We were acquainted with them a couple of times. But um, their family, actually their granddaughter, was a good friend of ours. And so we... Um, We want to extend our deepest condolences if you have the opportunity to to lift up a prayer for them to even personally visit them or to come out this afternoon i know the family would deeply appreciate that Um, there is a lot to work a lot of work to do but we do have a hope that jesus is coming soon amen Amen. and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all nations and then the end shall come and so we are looking forward to that day speaking of work i hope you um, as a community as, as a church family have appreciated the labor and loving ministry of Pastor Schooley and Eva Lou. Um, I understand that yesterday, or not yesterday, last Sabbath, uh, we put Pastor Schooley a little bit on the spot. Was that, was that what we did? Did we shower him with, with affirmation and blessing? Good, 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 good. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm just the newbie around here, but I've already been blessed by Pastor Schooley's ministry, and I know that you have as well. Um, boy, I tell you, I woke up this morning and I wasn't sure if it was because uh, the house was extremely cold or I was just extremely excited. (laughs) But I was shaking for at least the first 10 minutes of being up and um, just thinking about how excited we are to be part of this church family. Um, It is definitely a privilege. We count it a privilege, seriously. Because we know that this is God's call and we know that this is God's church. Now, I think it might be appropriate for me to call this my church, for you to call this your church, but only in the sense that this is the church that, to which we belong, to which we join hands and work with, but ultimately, this is God's church. This is God's ministry, and over and over throughout this week, as I've sat in this office, as I've visited, and as I've gotten acquainted with some of you, um, I just realized that this is God's church, and that is very, very humbling for a, a young adult, like myself, to be in this kind of a position, um, I realize that this is a sacred responsibility, and I don't take it lightly. And so I'm very humbled to be part of what God is doing, as we all should be. We all should be humbled to be part of sacred, redemptive history. Um, You know, I've gotten to visit with several of us, and uh, I've really enjoyed that time, and I look forward to being able to sit down personally with many more of you. Um, But even... Even if we haven't gotten to talk in person, I've gotten letters and messages and phone calls and um, people at our doorstep even. (laughs) And um, I just really want to let you know that we feel very welcomed and very loved. So thank you very much. Um, Many of you have mentioned that you've been praying for us as a family and that does mean a lot. That really does mean a lot. The last seven weeks or so since uh, we welcomed our newest little one, baby Godfrey Jaden is his name, but you can call him Jaden. It's been a busy time, uh, wrapping up school and moving across the country, um, but it's been a rush. (laughs) And so we're excited to finally be here. Um, And I know that you've been praying not just for our family, but several of us have have told me that you're praying for this church. You're praying for what God is going to do next. And uh, I tell you what, that's what we need right now. We're standing, uh, we're standing in, a, in a unique position. I've heard some stories about how this congregation, it started, uh, Bill, was it? It started uh, as a little congregation on, this, on on Kiernan Avenue. And then, what was it, in 1965 or so, Bellman Hall was constructed. We started meeting here and while this main sanctuary was being constructed. And that says a lot to, to keep moving forward, to keep pressing on. And... Uh, that's, that's just the, the pulse that I seem to, to, to sense from this congregation. Not just wanting to press on in terms of growing this physical church, but in growing the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And that's what's exciting to me. And I know I'm not the only one who's asking this question, at least I hope I'm not the only one asking this question, but what, you know, what is God going to do next? What, what does he have in store now? And as, as, I, as I ask that question, that's why I'm so encouraged to hear so many people say, I've been praying. I've been praying for the Holy Spirit. I've been praying for this church family. I've been praying for your family. Because that's what we need right now. We all need that. And Pastor Elder Joe, uh, he's mentioned already the 10 days of prayer that are coming up. And so I hope, I hope and pray that you will join us. I know that circumstances may not allow for all of us to be there, or all of us to be there at the same time, at the same day. But I tell you what. Um, the disciples, when they prayed, they, they, stood, uh, they stood gazing into heaven as they saw their risen Savior uh, ascending into the clouds. And, the, and Acts chapter 1 tells us that, that they went back to Jerusalem, and what did they do? They prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And you know what else? They prayed together. Did you catch that? They prayed together. They had the promise of God for the Holy Spirit. They had the passion of God for lost souls. And they prayed together. They didn't set out a calendar. Let's do it for 10 days. No, they just kept praying until they knew what God was going to do next. And sure enough, 10 days later, boom. Power of the Holy Spirit. And they knew what God was doing next. And and God was doing it through the very ones who were praying. God was doing it through the very ones who were praying. So I hope you'll join us. If circumstances allow, please join us for that 10 days of prayer. All right. You ready to get into the Word this morning? Yeah? Can we do it? Can we do it? Maybe you've noticed already in the bulletin, uh, the sermon title is New Year, New You, Part 1. Now, I thought I was really original when I came came up with that. But uh, getting email advertisements from JCPenney or Amazon.com or whatever. You know, it's like New Year, New You. Get all these clothes and whatever, gadgets and goodies. We're talking about something completely different here. New Year, New You. Part 1. Hearing the heartbeat of God. We've already talked about it. But we're in this new chapter as a church family. Standing on the cusp of, of uncertain unknowns variables, looking ahead with anticipation, maybe even anxiety. But if you're like me, you're starting to dream. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just as much an idealist as the next guy, but if you're like me, you, you start to dream about oh, all that God could do. All that God could do in this church, all that God could do through this church, all that God could do in this community and beyond. But one thing that I've come to know that kind of brings my feet back to earth, (laughs) is that anything that I want to see God do out there, I must be willing to let Him do right here. All the change, all the transformation, all the things I want to see to be done around me, I must let God do first within me. And so it's today as we're starting out, we're 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 gonna kick off a four-part series, New Heart, um, excuse me, new year, new you, part one. Because if we wanna see revival and reformation, we've got to start at square one. Amen. We've got to start not at new other people, <laughs> but new me. New you. And so this is the first of a four-part series, and it's all based on John chapter three. Specifically, the scripture that was read for us this morning. And namely, John 3, 16. Familiar words, probably even cliche by now. But I hope you understand that there's so much depth by the end of this month that we cannot let this this verse go by. Go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at verses 14 through 16. John chapter 3, verse 16, excuse me, 14 through 16. Some of us may even now be wondering, why in the world would we spend a whole month in a lone chapter, John chapter 3 of all places? I mean, it's Nicodemus talking with Jesus. It's Jesus in a one-person audience. What significance could be there for a whole month? Let me read for you something from Desire of Ages, page 176. Desire of Ages, 176. She says, In the interview with Nicodemus, Jesus unfolded the plan of salvation and his mission to the world. In none of his subsequent discourses did Jesus explain so fully, step by step, the work necessary to be done in the hearts of all who would inherit the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? She says, in no other sermon, in no other interview, in no other conversation did Jesus unfold, step by step, did he unpack it so fully and explain it so completely than in this one, with Nicodemus. And so, new heart, new you, you want all that newness? (laughs) Go to John chapter 3. And you'll find in there, John 3.16. That's why we're going. That's why we're going. So, if you know it, you can recite it. If you don't, you can read it in your laps. John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. O great God, the God who knows all things, who sees all things, even the very depths of our heart, would you please open up your word and open up our ears that we might hear the heartbeat of the living and loving God this morning. This is our sincere prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us all say, Amen. 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 In John chapter 3, there's this fellow by the name of Nicodemus. He approaches Jesus at night. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a teacher of teachers. In fact, in verse 10, Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. So if anyone should know anything about spiritual life, it ought to be Nicodemus. By the time we come to our focus passage around verses 14, 15, and 16, the dominating question that comes upon Nicodemus is how can someone possibly be born again? Have you heard that phrase before? How can someone be born again? Jesus met the very heart, the very baseline of Nicodemus' life. He said, "What What you need isn't more knowledge, you don't need more theory. More insight. What you need is the regeneration of your heart. What you need is to be born again. And Nicodemus is just, psh, what in the world are you talking about? How can a man be born again? And by the time we come to verse 14, Jesus begins to explain how it is. The very basis of how conversion happens in the life. And he does this by reminding Nicodemus of a story. Check it out. John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus says, And, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus starts harking back to a story in the Old Testament. Have you heard this one before? Moses lifting up a serpent. It comes from Numbers chapter 21. The scene is the children of Israel. They're, they're marching to the promised land as slow as they possibly can go. And, and in their persistent rebellion, fiery serpents, the Bible says. In other words, serpents that have a fiery bite inflict the children of Israel. Because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of their uh, stubbornness against God, now they're feeling the very consequence of all that. And so people are, 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 are under searing pain, looking for any cure that they could possibly find, uh, a glass of water, um, uh, some miracle drug, whatever it might be, and God gives Moses some specific instructions, and the instructions are, make a brazen serpent, lift it up on a pole, high enough so that everybody can look and live. To some, this was ridiculous. (laughs) I need need a drug. I need some sort of medication. I need a charcoal poultice. I don't know what it is, you know? They're looking for something else. And to some, it's ridiculous, but to others who actually believe, that God knows what he's talking about, they look, and it's their salvation. And Jesus says, just like that, the Son of Man is actually going to be hoisted up, lifted up. And you know that Nicodemus is connecting the dots, right? Well, you lift it up. He's not talking about being lifted up in our praise. He's not talking about lifted up on a throne. He's talking about a cruel cross you've got to understand, for Nicodemus, every time he's heard that phrase, son of man, his mind has always gone back to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, the son of man comes to the Ancient of Days and receives a kingdom. He receives the inheritance of the children of Israel. And he gives it to the saints of the Most High. And so when when Nicodemus thinks of son of man, he thinks of someone, yes, lifted high, but high on a throne. And here, Jesus is talking about the Son of Man on a cross. And as Nicodemus is connecting the dots, you can tell that he's, he's probably in uh, flabbergasted, <laughs> it, uh, bewildered in silence. And Jesus breaks that silence. He breaks that silence. He continues to say, even so, verse 14, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he continues. For God so loved the world. As Nicodemus is silently pondering and grappling with this uh, almost scandalous announcement, Jesus says, For God so loved the world. As Nicodemus is wondering, how, why in the world would God choose such a ridiculous, outrageous way to redeem humanity, Jesus says, for God so loved the world. It actually didn't strike me until this week as I was studying the passage again that the very first word of verse 16 is for. It's an explanation. So as Nicodemus is wondering, what is God doing? Jesus explains that the scandal, (laughs) the scandal of the cross, the scandal of redemption, the scandal of salvation, It's explained by four letters in the English word. uh, In in the English language. L-O-V-E. Love. God's love. For God so loved the world. This is a foreign love. This is an unnatural love. This is an, an outrageous love. And I think one Christian author recently put it. This is crazy love. (laughs) And this morning, I just want us to consider more deeply from just this opening phrase, three qualities, three realities that I see about God's crazy, crazy love. Crazy enough to shout about, crazy enough to sing about. So three qualities of God's outrageous love. This morning, I pray that we would hear the heartbeat of a loving God the first quality for God so loved the first quality is that God's heart beats with a with an everlasting love God's heart beats with an everlasting love. if you're taking notes go for it number one God heart God's heart beats with an everlasting love you'll take note that that when you actually look at verse 16 and we're talking about God's love it's not that God's love is the effect, but it's the cause. It's not that something came first, but his love actually came first. In other words, God didn't need convincing to love. God didn't need someone to recommend it to him. God didn't need emotion. God didn't need a second. God just loved. That's why Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, You've heard of old. Yes. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now that word everlasting means it goes in both directions. It goes into eternity future. He will always love. And it goes into eternity past. He always has loved. Which means this. You and I did nothing to kickstart that love. Do you understand that? (laughs) I mean that, to me, that's, that's unnatural. I mean we love ice cream because of how satisfying it is to us. Like the value that we see in it, the value we assess in it, the value we we appraise. Uh, that's why we love it. But God says, no, 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 no. My love is not contingent upon the value that I see in it, but my love is such that it gives value upon the objects that I place. Actually, if you hold your finger here in John 3, there's a really uh, powerful verse in Deuteronomy 7. If there was ever a place where circular logic came here, it is Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. When you're there, go ahead and say amen. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. And here Moses, again, is talking to the children of Israel, and he's explaining something to them before they head into the promised land. He wants them to be clear about something so that they don't get a big head. (laughs) Listen to it. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. He's saying, look, you know that God loves you. But don't ever think to yourself that he loved you because you were the best looking. That he loved you because you were the most in number. That he loved you because you had the best technology or whatever. That's not the reason God loved you. And obviously, the children of Israel may be wondering at this point, okay, well, why then did God love me? Verse 8, Moses doesn't even give them an answer. He turns the question around and says, but because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. Do you see what just happened? It's like the child that asks mommy or daddy and says, why do you love me? And then the mom and dad just says, I do. I, I just do. <laughs> do you understand? God says, I don't love you because... But it's because I love you that God turns it around. And as a parent, I, I think I can just begin to conceptualize that. You know, uh, just seven weeks fresh from watching a live birth, one of the most beautiful things you can see. As a parent, there was nothing that Jaden, there was nothing that Jenna did or said. performed you know (laughs) there is nothing that they ever did to earn my love or deserve it I love them simply because they're mine and that's beautiful to me and that's only the beginning of God's everlasting love God's love is everlasting his heart beats with an everlasting love that's number one number two God's heart beats with an ever seeking love. An ever-seeking love. Again, we're in John 3.16. The verse continues, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. It's not just a love, la la la, God loves, yay. You know? It's God loving the world. In fact, the word in Greek is cosmos. God loves the entire universe. This is what's motivating him in all his actions. God loves the world. That is God's love is a love on a mission. It's a love seeking to save that which was lost. And this is the story from Genesis to Revelation. You read about actually this week I was just rereading the creation story. Maybe you're going through the Sabbath school quarterly as well. But just re reading the story of creation and how God just designed things so perfectly. And if you read it Uh, just as a breezing through, you get this idea that God is is building towards a climax. You know, he's kind of piecing things together, just like a master artist. He he gets the canvas set, then he paints the background, the backdrop, and he's putting detail here and there, but he's moving towards a climax, and that climax is the creation of humanity. But even more than that, the cherry on top, God stretches out time. He creates a day to actually spend with humanity. In other words, the thing that he's driving for is relationship. He wants that relationship, but then in chapter three, oh, chapter 3. <laughs> Do you ever read through Genesis and you get to chapter 3 and like, oh, not again, you know? Adam and Eve, they go to the voting polls, <laughs> the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they choose self-love over divine love. And at that point, that relationship, that face-to-face communion that God had so perfectly designed and set up, that relationship is broken. It's severed. It suffers. And do you realize that in Genesis 3, verse 9, it's God himself who comes, and he's the one who starts conversation. Do you remember his question? Where are you? He comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he's looking for that relationship again. And he's the one who says, where are you? That's the story from Genesis to Revelation. It's a God who himself is seeking the lost. You know, sometimes we think that, oh, I found Jesus. I finally found grace. But no, no, no. God has been looking all along. God finds us. Luke chapter 15, those familiar parables It's the shepherd who leaves the 99, doggedly searching for that one lost sheep. It's that woman who loses one out of ten coins and doesn't just pass it off and say, I can replace that one. She turns her whole house upside down, sweeps the corners, turns on a limp. Where is it? Until she finds it. And that's our God, whose heart beats with an ever-seeking God's heart beats with an everlasting love. God's heart beats with an ever seeking love. And finally, God's heart beats with an ever giving love. An ever giving love. Back to John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Can someone say amen to that? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I am so glad That it's not just the thought that counts with God. Anniversaries come around. Uh, We know this, right? I thought about you today. I thought about getting roses today. And if your spouse is gracious like mine, she'll say, I understand. We're all busy. (laughs) It's the thought that counts. But really, it's not. For God, it's not just the thought that counts. God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love. That is, we we have a sense of it. We can actually put our hands on it. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. God's love is ever giving, ever sacrificing. In fact, in Paul's writings, Galatians 2.20, Ephesians 5.25, you have this idea that God's love is synonymous with giving himself. What is it? You remember Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ Nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Loved me and gave himself for me Just in case we don't remember what God's love means He writes in Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Do you realize that God's love is synonymous with His giving of Himself? Now that's heavy. When you think about that, He gave Himself. God the Father gave the infinite Son (laughs) His most prized relationship. In fact, when you actually read John 3.16 in the original, uh, the original word order says, For God so loved the world that His Son, His only one, He gave. In other words, the primary emphasis isn't on the giving, the act of giving, but on who He gave. It's the Son. The only one. The Father gave the Son. The Son gave Himself. And you think about the heaviness of that reality. In fact, in Desire of Ages, we're told that on the cross, Jesus couldn't even see past the portals of the tomb. Have you heard that before? Let me read this quote for you. It's Desire of Ages, page, I think it's 753. Desire of Ages, page 753. She says this. Oh, this this is deep. Okay, Satan, with his fierce temptations, wrung the heart of Jesus. Now we're talking about As Jesus is hanging upon the cross between the 6th and the ninth hours, Satan with his fierce temptations wrung the heart of Jesus. The Savior could not see through the portals of the tomb. He did not present, hope did not present to him his coming forth from the grave as a conqueror. Hope did not present to him the possibility of coming out on the other side. Now you read through the Gospels and you have this idea that Jesus knows that on the third day he's going to rise again, right? He's told his disciples that before. He's predicted it. But in the moment as he's hanging on the cross, as Satan is wringing his heart with fierce temptations, Jesus, as he's being crushed by the weight of my sin, by the weight of all humanity's sin, he can't see past it. Hope doesn't pop up in his heart. And he yells out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And when he says, "Into thy hands I commit my spirit," he's saying it by faith. He doesn't feel it. Mm-mm. He doesn't feel it. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Hebrews twelve two says, "For the joy set before him." You got to wonder what was that joy. I've what was that joy that Jesus pictured in his mind? What did he imagine in his mind that kept him there? Why, that kept him from calling down legions of angels to just put an end to it all? What was it that, that kept Jesus there? I've always thought that, okay, maybe Jesus just thought about, you know, having an opportunity to sit down with me in heaven. And maybe he pictured being able to sit down with the Parkwood Church family under the tree of life or something like that, and just being able to hug each other personally. Maybe that's what he pictured. But now that I realize that on the cross he couldn't even see past the portals of the tomb, then whatever it was that he pictured, if it was me in heaven, if it was you in heaven, if it was all of us, he wasn't in that picture. He couldn't see past the portals of the tomb. He said, they can have my place. They can have my place. Do you hear the heartbeat of God? It beats with an ever-giving love. <laughs> Our God is good. All the time. Yes, all the time. Our God is good. His heart beats with an everlasting love. His heart beats with an ever-seeking love. And his heart beats with an ever-giving, ever-sacrificing love. What more could he do? What more could he do? Today, maybe you're here, and you've wondered to yourself, you know, my past isn't the prettiest, I wonder, you know, I'm here, I'm dressed up, but in my heart of hearts, I wonder if I've just crossed the line. If I'm just beyond the reach of grace. Friend, God's heart beats with an everlasting love. There's nothing you can do to kickstart it, and there's nothing you could do to quench it. God's heart beats with an everlasting love. Maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I know by grace we've been saved through faith. But I just got to do this because, man, I, I got to earn my keep around here. I don't know, maybe we don't say that, right? We don't talk that, but deep down, that's what motivates us. That, that's what kind of gets us going. Oh, man, if I don't have my devotions, then, ah. Oh. Or if, if I don't do my duty every month here, Friend, do you realize that God's love can't be earned? It doesn't need to be earned. Because before we looked to him, he looked on us. Before we could do anything for him, he already did everything for us. Jesus is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. God's heart beats with an everlasting love. And so today, if that's you, if you need to hear that heartbeat of the everlasting love of God, believe it. Hold on to it. Maybe there's someone here today who has been seeking God, and you've been seeking hard, and you just don't feel like even still, all cylinders aren't firing. You still feel like there's a nagging disconnect, a separation between you and he, and you're just not quite sure what to do. Maybe it's been so long, that nagging separation, that you've even forgotten it was there. But you still feel the same pew. You still bring your kid to Sabbath school. If you feel like you're in this pursuit and it's not getting anywhere, friend... Stop, be still, and know that God's heart beats with an ever-seeking love. He's already done all the seeking and searching. He's right there. And maybe there's some of us who really um, who really aren't sure that God actually loves me. Has that thought ever crossed your mind? I see what God does in other people's lives. Why not mine? I see God working over there. Why not here? Man, (laughs) I hope I'm not the only one who's been there. (laughs) But if that's where you're at today, let me tell you a story. (laughs) The other, uh, it it was a while back, but I remember it was my week to do the grocery shopping, pushing my cart through, I think it was Apple Valley, Uh, this is uh, in Berrien Springs, out by Andrews University and I'm pushing my cart through and you know, maybe it's just because I'm a a parent myself, but now I hear conversations between parents and children really keenly (laughs) and and I remember, mom can I get this? Mom can I get that? And it, it persisted for quite a while, I don't know if they were following me or if I was following them, but this conversation just kept ringing in my ears and finally In a gentle but firm manner, mother said, no, and please don't ask again. And this is what the child just spit back. Probably like five years old or less. child said, ah, mom is so mean. And he said it with a little more um, venom than that. (laughs) Ah, mom is so mean. As if that was the final word, the conclusion, the end. Close the book. And then I kind of heard under her breath, if you only knew. Parents, do you know what that means? If you only knew how many hours it took to get you out. (laughs) If you only knew how many times I had to get up. And make sure your tummy was full at night. If you only knew this or that. You know, sometimes I wonder if, as God's children, we have this conclusion that God must not love me. But we're just looking at the wrong points of evidence. If we only knew. Well, if we only knew what? Jesus has already revealed his love. When he did this and that, and said, it is finished, what more could he do? And so today, if maybe you're in that spot, and you're wondering, man, where is God? Why did this happen? Why did this not happen? Why, Why did this job fall through? Why was this prayer unanswered? Why was my innocence robbed? Why this? Why that? Look, I may not be able to explain everything, but one thing I do know is that all of that data does not mean that God doesn't love you. And so, if you feel like you're being pushed around in a shopping cart and you're thinking, God, God is so mean, (laughs) hear the heartbeat of God today the ever giving, ever sacrificing heartbeat. That says, if you only knew, look to the cross. Look to the cross. And so, with all this in mind the everlasting love, the ever seeking love, the ever giving love of God what can we do this week? What can you and I do this week? The simple appeal, if you'll accept it, is to pray to hear the love of God each morning. Take this week. I was about to say take 2013, take the whole year, and each morning pray that you would hear the love of God in the morning. But let's take it bite size at a time. How's that? This week, I want you to write down a couple verses. I'm going to give you a couple verses if you really want to have the new year be marked by a new you and coming in contact with the heartbeat of God. Let me give you two verses to pray on. Two verses. Here they are. You got a pen, you got a pencil, maybe it's a crayon. All right. Two verses. Write these down. Psalm 143, verse 8. Psalm 143, verse 8. Psalm 143, verse 8. In the New King James, it says this Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Yeah, that's a really honest prayer. You know, David is saying, I can't hear it, so cause me to hear it. Please. In fact, the NIV puts it like this. It's actually really eloquent. It says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. I dig it. So if, if you're wanting to respond to this appeal this week, take time this morning. Pray that prayer. Let me hear your unfailing love this morning, God. Here's another one, Psalm 42, verse 8. So the first one was a prayer. The second one is a promise. Psalm 42, verse 8. Psalm 42, verse 8. The Bible says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. He's going to call it out. (laughs) He's going to say, love, go. (laughs) And if you want to write down another promise, it's Romans 5, 5. Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint, for the love of God has been poured abroad in our hearts, through the Holy Ghost. This won't take long to do in the morning. It won't take much effort. But it will take intentionality. So, how many of us want to say, yeah, this week, I'm going to take time to ask that God would cause me to hear His love in the morning. How many of us are there? Will you join me? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father God, you are so good. You're gracious, you're persistent, and you're the perfect gentleman. Lord, today, and each day this week, would you please cause us to hear your loving kindness? Dig out our ears if they're so filled with junk. Soften our hearts if they've been calloused by pain. Do whatever it takes to cause us to hear your heartbeat with love. God, I can't even hear my own heartbeat. But if I wanted to, I'd have to stop. I can't hear anyone else's heartbeat. But if I wanted to, I'd have to come close. So please, Each morning this coming week, draw us near to your throne and don't let us go until we've heard word of your unfailing love. This is our prayer in Jesus' powerful and saving name. Let everyone say, Amen.